I want to tell you um, from the start that you guys are dedicated, faithful Christians. There's two reasons why I say that this morning. Because I have been doing this for about 15 years now, and the Sunday after Easter is one of the least attendant Sundays. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of Christians that we call them Christers. Christmas and Easter is when they go to church. And then uh, sometimes they come for the free lunch that we offer. All right? But you came, all right? Anyways, it doesn't matter. Now, there's another reason. You know the weather has been horrible this year in Michigan, has it not? It's been terrible. And this is the first 80-degree weekend we've had all year. And you're here. Every Michiganer knew it was going to be nice this weekend. It's as if the devil himself was tempting you to stay home and not go to church. Am I right? Get started on all those outside projects, but you didn't do that because you're dedicated, faithful Christians. I am very proud of you. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, great job for resisting the temptation. Tell them, I'm glad you came, and it's not even a free lunch today. <laughs> all right, in all honesty, I'm going to pray for you as you um, hear this word from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, bring the word to us today. It's an important word, a word that we may have heard many times before, and it's, it's from, the words, uh, from the mouth of Jesus and telling his disciples to go and make more disciples. And I pray, Father, that we would hear it, and we would not just hear it, but we would understand how we apply it to our lives, that we would also make disciples. Father, give us the wisdom to do that. Give us the boldness to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So last week, if you came on Easter, well, we call it Resurrection Sunday, I focused on the safety and security that we have because Jesus is alive. He's resurrected, and then we have that hope that we too will be resurrected. But the story doesn't end there, does it? In fact, it just is beginning at that point. It's just the beginning. In fact, there's sort of like this uh, grace period, we say sometimes, uh, but this sort of 40 days of, of time where from the crucifixion, um, and t- as Jesus appears to his uh, believers, And then, a little bit after that, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, there's this sort of time that uh, we're going to focus on for the next few Sundays. Because I want to show you that when Jesus appeared to the believers, there was a purpose behind that. There was a preparation for that. And when we finish that, that'll actually complete the harmony of the Gospels. And if you've been with us for a year and a half, then you know we started this at the beginning of 2021. And this is a year and a half journey we've been on going through the harmony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're here at the the end of it. And uh, then we're going to actually get into a little bit of the book of Acts, just because the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is when the first church started, and the first church was a healthy church. And I always, almost periodically, like you probably do when it's New Year's resolution time, you look at your health, 
mind, body, right, spirit, you know, everything, and you say, all right, I'm going to make some changes, or I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, I always kind of yearly look at the health of our own church, and the, the, the baseline, the, the where I go to is in Acts chapter 2. I look at the, that church, the first church, because it was a healthy church. I, I want you to see what made it healthy. So I'm going to read to you a little bit longer than I would normally read, but I want you to see how what happened when that first church started and what it looked like. It's important. So it's in Acts 2. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me in Acts chapter 2. And there's Bibles and chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take it. It's yours. We, we bought it for those purposes. So in verse 36, Peter was preaching. One of, one of Jesus' disciples is Peter. And he was preaching to uh, all of uh, the Jewish people that came into Jerusalem for the Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Or after, yeah, Passover. So verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know, this is Peter speaking, for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard that, some of them were, as it says, cut to the heart. Has anybody ever said something to you before and you were just cut to the heart? I mean, it just got right into your business. And it says that Peter and the rest of the apostles, they asked him, brothers, what do we do now? And Peter said to them, you repent of your sins and you be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you also will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is, just for, is for you and, and for your children, and for all who are far off, that's us, all that will believe, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40, with many words he bore witness, continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day 3,000 souls. That's a huge baptism, let me tell you. Verse 42, here's what the church looked like. This is the healthy church, the first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is like the agape feasts that we have, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's important as we get into this, you'll see. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and belongings and distribute if someone had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who wouldn't want to be a part of this church community? I mean, doesn't this sound wonderful to you? I, every time I read this, I get this sort of warm you know, feeling of, man, this is awesome. This, this generous people, Christians, following Jesus, loving one another. And the whole community is aware of these Christians. It would be as if all of St. Clair Shores was aware of Life of Purpose Church. There's just wonderful people there, and, and they're growing more and more. Daily, people were believing 
that Jesus is God, that he is their Savior. He died for their sins. And what was their secret? I mean, all church leaders, and there's a lot of them, want to know, what's the secret, you know, to a healthy church? Well, I think the secret is the Great Commission. The Great Commission, which is the title of this message and which is what Jesus told his disciples. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus didn't say that. We just name it that. The Great Commission is basically, in a nutshell, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, which is what Jesus did. And they did it too. How do we know that those 12 disciples, those original 12, how do we know that they made disciples? And the answer is, there's millions of Christians today. Am I right? Are you alone in your faith? No. No, there's millions and millions of Christians today. Now, the other gospel, so Matthew mentions the Great Commission. He ends his, his uh, account of the life of Jesus with the Great Commission to go and make disciples. We're going to get into that, but I'm going to go through it verse by verse because that's what we do here at Life of Purpose. We teach the Bible as much as we can verse by verse so you understand it. The other gospel writer, Mark, also has the Great Commission, but maybe you'll, I hope you'll find this kind of interesting. If you have just read uh, a Bible and not paid attention to the little notations in your Bible, and if, maybe if you don't have a study Bible, you might have not noticed that it says in there, there's a little, there's a little note in there that points out that Mark's original, the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark, ends somewhat abruptly after verse 8 in the last chapter which means that verses 9 through 20 were, were in, in other manuscripts later on. Now, what's a manuscript? That's a copy of the original written text. And you should know that scribes, that was their job, scribes scribble, they, they, they basically made copies of important documents, important texts, and if they were off just a little, just a, a, a jot or a tittle, as they call it, or just a letter was off in the whole page, they would throw it away. So they were very meticulous about their job. And that would then, of course, you would ask this question then, well, how on earth then did 12 verses, because the scholars say that the last 12 verses of Mark were not written by Mark. How did that happen? How did they get in there? when Mark ends his story in verse 8. And the answer is, is that, um, that it was added to complete the story because it ended so abruptly. And then, of course, there's going to be skeptics that are going to say, see, you can't trust the Bible. Men has, has messed with it, and uh, some scribe decided to end the story his way. Well, I'm telling you, that's not possible. It's not possible for that to happen. In fact, there's been lots of writers, there's lots of books out there in the old text that were written to try to tell their own version of the story. There's a Gospel of Thomas, a Gospel of Mary. There's other writings 
And you would ask the question, why aren't those books in the Bible today? Why do we only have the 66 books in the Bible today? And the answer to that is peer review. If you're a medical professional, okay, or, or, or uh, um, you, you've read um, journals that require peer review, you understand what I'm talking about. You can't just write an article and, and, and submit it, and then if it's wrong, then the community of, of experts will let you know it's wrong. You with me on this? You understand peer review? A little nod of the, yes? No? Okay, all right. So here's a point, here's an example. If some doctor falls off his rocker and claims that fishing cures baldness, <laughs> I'm the first one to tell you you're wrong. And I got a lot of fishing buddies that are going to back me up on this one. Peer review is an important thing. And so in order, just so you know, for a book to make it into the New Testament, the writer had to have spent time with Jesus himself. Or he had to be with somebody that spent time with Jesus. And if anybody wrote something that wasn't true, there were enough eyewitnesses to say, no, that's wrong. And they would discredit it. So the reason Mark, chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, is actually printed today in the Bible, it's read as if Mark wrote it, it's only because it's the truth of what happened. The other Gospels in the book of Acts confirm it happened. Now I will tell you, I would encourage you always to read the Bible text that I go over and read your Bible all the time. Um, but go home and read Mark, the last chapter, and when you get to verse 9, you'll read that, and you'll be like, your eyes will get big, because you're going you're gonna to be like, what? That, that's, I think I heard about a church like that. And, and what I'm talking about is the fact that, first of all, it says that you must be, to be saved, it, it almost reads as if you must be baptized. And I know of one Christian denomination and a friend of mine who that's what they believe. You've got to be baptized to be saved. So if someone believes and it's at midnight, they'll go to their church and fill up the baptismal and they'll baptize you right away because they believe that's what you need. Now the other ones, the other verse in there is a little bit interesting because it talks about handling snakes and drinking poison. And that's where people point to, I'm sure skeptics say, see, you Christians are wackos because you, you handle snakes and drink. Anybody ever been to a church that has done that? Uh, I've never, never been to that before. But Mark, uh, uh, in this Gospel of Mark, it's pointing out that, that those were signs that would accompany those who believe, specifically the apostles. So when you interpret a Bible verse like that, you can't pull out a context and apply it any way you want. You have to interpret a Bible verse with the rest of the Bible. That's good Bible interpretation. We have our Bible study here on Wednesday night, a service on Wednesday night that's more of like a Bible study. And that question, that point comes up all the time. Well, it's hard to read the Bible. I don't understand it. Well, how do I interpret it? Well, you do it with the rest of the Bible. And uh, those signs were accompanying the original apostles. When you read through Acts, you'll see that. But nowhere does it suggest that I, Pastor Matt, should be holding on to snakes and drinking my own brand of Kool-Aid. No, it does not mean that at all. But if we want to talk further about it, come Wednesday at 7, I'll be here and we can talk about that. 
Let's get to Matthew, verse by verse, chapter 28. 16, let's start in verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And that's, let's just start there. Eleven disciples went to Jesus, or went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, quite a bit distance from Galilee. And when he was crucified, he, he then appeared. And in fact, um, when you put all the Gospels together, you get this timeline of Jesus appearing over the course of 40 days. And this appearance in Matthew is about two weeks, kind of in the middle of that 40 days. And just to kind of give you this understanding, it wasn't just Jesus didn't just appear in Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem is the city that's in the the, I always think of it like, you know, St. Clair Shores is in Macomb County. Jerusalem is in Judea. And north of Judea is Samaria. And north of Samaria is Galilee. And so Jesus appears to them up north in Galilee. And uh, some would say, well, why? Why did Jesus appear to them way up in Galilee? Because he appeared to some in, around Jerusalem and Judea. Why did he go and appear to them way up in Galilee? I don't know that there's a specific reason for that, other than they did a lot of ministry in Galilee. That was most of where the ministry was done. I honestly believe it, it points to what's going to happen next. Jesus was always preparing his disciples. And if you know Acts 1.8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven after those 40 days, he said, wait here and you will receive the power from the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. It'll come upon you. And with that power, you can be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's, that's kind of like a, 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 the same thing as the Great Commission. You're going to go out and make disciples. And probably for some of those disciples, you know, sometimes we live in a bubble. You know, I lived a long time before I ever went out of the state of Michigan. You know, I think these disciples for Galilee was probably the farthest they had. That, that was the ends of their earth. I went to school at Michigan Tech. That's at the top of the UP. We used to joke, four more miles and you're at the end of the earth. Youpers, are you with me on that one? It's cold up there and it's far up there. But the point is here is that he met them in Galilee, I think, to basically show them that they're going to go, and they're going to make disciples, and they're going to keep going. And Apostle Paul, of course, he went all the way around the Mediterranean Sea making disciples like he was called to do. Let's go to verse 17. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, you might wonder, what does that mean, they doubted? Does that mean that they lacked faith? And the answer is no, because when you look at the original word, the Greek word written there, if it was lacking faith, the word would be apistos. Pistos is faith. A meaning not faith. It wasn't that word. It was a different word called distazo. Distazo means to think twice. To, to kind of mentally waver in your opinion. Have you ever thought you saw something but then your eyes were like, no, that can't be it. You ever had that occurrence to you before? I think I, no, that can't be. You know, 
Matter of fact, here's a good one. I, I sent the video to my friend John. Uh, John prays for the offering oftentimes. But I was watching America's Funniest Videos, and this guy on the video walked right into something. It was hilarious. Everybody laughed, right? Well, I swear to you, it looked like John. I looked twice, three, four times. I sent him the video to see if it was him. Apparently it wasn't. Sorry, he didn't win any money. When I was 12 years old, my parents left me home alone, and we lived out in the country. And I was a little scared when it got dark, okay? And um, I was looking outside, I remember, kind of scared already, because it was dark and we lived in the country, on a dirt road, and I swear to you, I saw a man standing on the road staring at me, just standing there staring at me. And the more I looked, the more I thought he was staring at me. And it scared me silly. So silly, I called my grandma freaking out. Grandma, there's somebody on the road staring at me. And basically, I was distazoing. All right? I was, my eyes were playing tricks on me, and, and I was just really confused. The disciples had the same thing happening to them. Because they saw Jesus crucified. They saw him on the cross, and he was dead. But then three days later, they saw him alive. And again, they saw, and it just was, it was hard for them. So they, they, they distazzled. They, it says they doubted, but they, they wavered. But it shows us in the rest of the gospel, or the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, they didn't waver, did they? Almost all of them died for their faith. They continued to share with others. So let's go on to verse 18. Verse 18 says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty bold statement, don't you think, that Jesus makes there? That all authority, not just on earth, but in heaven, has been given to me. Now we ask ourselves the question, who's in charge? Maybe you've been working at a company and you're like, who's in charge here? You know, and you know who's in charge. Um, maybe you come to Life of Purpose and you're like, who's in charge? And it's not Chrissy, let me tell you. <laughs> she thinks it's her. I'm kidding. Jesus is in charge. I can only say that because she's working in the nursery right now, filling in for something. But who's in charge of everything? And the Christian would say, well, God the Father. But then Jesus... God the Son is who the Father gave all authority to. Because we call Jesus King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there's something significant about God handing over all the power, all the authority to Jesus. And it made me think of this time I worked for a, a tool company selling tools. A long time ago, uh, as I um, um, shared with uh, the homeschool uh, group that I got to talk to this I had, I've had four major careers, and this was the second of my careers after an engineer. I got into sales, and I was selling uh, tools to the big three. In, here in Detroit, we know what that means. Um, and I was uh, working for this company, and it was owned by Mike and Marilyn, and they had three kids, Matt, Mark, and I forgot the daughter's name, but I promise you it started with them. Uh, Matt was in charge of sales and day-to-day -day operations. He was kind of the guy I reported to, and Mark ran the engineering department. The daughter ran the accounting. Marilyn oversaw the admin staff. And we were all a little uncertain as what Mike, the owner, did because he kind of came and went as he pleased. But one thing was for sure. 
If one of his kids made a decision that he didn't like, well, let me tell you, you knew about it because he stepped in and he was all authority. It may seem like he handed over the authority to his kids, but if he set a meeting, you were scared in this meeting because he would do whatever he wanted to do. He was all authority. But here's my point. God truly handed over all authority to his son Jesus. He won't need to overrule Jesus because every decision Jesus makes is to please the Father. And they've got it all figured out, don't they? Their plan is the perfect plan. And that's what Jesus said when he said, all authority has been given to me. Verse 20. Here it is. The Great Commission. Verse 20. It's really in four parts. In four parts. So in verse 20, there's three parts, and then part of 21 is the other part. So the first part, and I kind of put it on the screen this way. Um, Well, we're way ahead on the screen here. Let's back up to go therefore. That's where we should be. Some believe that the Great Commission is just for missionaries. There's lots of us that think that, oh, go and make disciples. Well, that's a, that's a missionary's responsibility. They're going to leave the cushy home that they live in, go live in a mosquito-infested jungle, try not to die from malaria, and tell lost tribes about Jesus with hand signals until you learn their language. Isn't that kind of what we think about missionaries sometimes? Or am I off on that? Maybe you know a a real missionary. We support missionaries here, and that's not how it all works. But that's not even what Jesus meant by go. In fact, I've read multiple sermons on this particular topic, and all scholars would agree, go is for all of us. All of us. In fact, go would be better translated, as you go. As you go about your daily business, make disciples. As you go to school, make disciples. As you go to work, make disciples. As you walk around your neighborhood with your dog, make disciples. As you go. You get it? That's what it means. As you go, make disciples. And that's really not even the emphasis of the Great Commission. The emphasis is the next part, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. A disciple is a follower. You could be a disciple of Bill Gates if you wanted to be a billionaire, but you wouldn't have Steve Jobs to copy from anymore. You could be a disciple of Gordon Ramsay if you wanted to be a great chef. Do you know he has 16, or at one point, 16 Michelin stars? All I know is that's a lot of tires to hold. I don't get that. Some of you are going to get that joke later on and drive home. (laughs) Or you could be a disciple of Jesus. Follow his way of life. Encourage others all, all over the world to do the same. And you might ask, well, what's the reward in being a disciple of Jesus? Will I make billions? Will I be an amazing chef? All things are possible when you follow Jesus. But I know one thing is for sure, you'll have joy. Now and forever. You'll be safe and secure, as we talked about last week. Baking disciples. It's a lifestyle. It's not a job. It's not something you do on the weekends, on a Sunday. It's something you do all the time. It's part of your life, wherever you're at. 
You can make disciples. And when you make a disciple, Jesus says, you baptize them. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is what we have back here, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's kind of fun. I just realized the verse that we're reading is right back here. (laughs) Baptism is the the beginning, if you will, uh, of a Christian's life, I think. It's, it's, it's a way that, that you identify with Jesus. It's a ceremony, of course, where you go underwater and it symbolizes the, the burial, the death of your old life, that, that life that was dominated by sin. And then there's a resurrection to a new life in Christ. And, and that, that whole process of, of baptism Uh, Again, I I tell you, some believe it it saves you. It doesn't save you. It's a symbol of what saves you, and God saves you through his Holy Spirit and your belief. And that's what saves you. But baptism is so important that we do it like Jesus did it. I mean, that's why Jesus did it, to, to show us that we should also be fully submersed underwater as Jesus was in the Jordan River. And if you've never been baptized that way, I think you should. And we can do that. Um, We do that on Sundays here, and we'll be doing that in June. If you want to be baptized, put on your connection card that's in the seat in front of you. Just mark that down. Say, I want to be baptized. I've never been baptized um, as a believer. Uh, I believe in, in, and that's the way I want to be baptized. So please do that. It's important to do that. More than anything, it is a way to um, invite your family and friends to celebrate with you. Because it is a celebration. Now you should know that when the first believers, or believers even today in hostile countries, when they get baptized, um, they are risking persecution. Because they are identifying with Jesus. And so that is a, 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 and from their family, in fact, as well. There's, there's lots of other um, religions that if they become a Christian, their family will disown them because they became a Christian. That's the reality. Uh, The fourth thing that Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission is to teach, to obey all that I've commanded you. In the Gospel of John, he tells us that there's really one command that sums it all up. Do you know what that is? Love one another, as I have loved you. And when you look at the life of Jesus, how much he loves you, that he died for you, That's what we should be teaching Christians today. Love each other so much that you would die for them. If I had a class for that, I don't know how many people would sign up for it. Come, love, like Jesus, be willing to die. Probably not going to get a lot of people to sign up for that class. Jesus, though, had a simple philosophy of ministry. I like simple. Simple philosophy of Jesus' ministry. How did he make disciples? Simple, that's what he did. He said, guys, there's 12 of you, watch me. Watch me. See what I do. And then later on in his ministry, this was over the course of three and a half years, he said, let's do this together. And they did it together. And then at the end, he said, all right, guys, you do it, and I'll watch you. And that was Jesus' philosophy of making disciples. It's the same one that I have. Same way that we train Folks here in in doing any kind of ministry, you know, watch me, let's do it together, I'll watch you. 
And Jesus then says in the end here, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus still with us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He can see us just fine. The Holy Spirit guides us, teaches us, reproofs us, corrects us, trains us. The Great Commission isn't really an option. It it can't be an option. If it was an option, Christianity would have died 2,000 years ago. It's not an option for us. We have to do it. And we have to know that there's a, there's a cost sometimes when we, when we call ourselves disciples. In fact, Luke 9, 23, Jesus said these words, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I mean, that, that, that's a tough thing, right? I mean, if you're, we don't usually do that in the church. We say, come be a Christian. It's exciting. You're going to have a great life. We don't usually quote that verse that Jesus quoted. We don't usually say, hey, come, deny yourself. All the world has to offer. Live a life where you might be made fun of. You might be persecuted. You could be killed. Want to join me in that life? You might not have that many friends after that. But that's what Jesus offered his disciples. And then you have to ask this question, well, why would anyone want to be a disciple then? If, if that's what you have to look forward to, why would you want to be a disciple? Why would you choose to be a disciple? And the answer is, you wouldn't. You're not choosing it. And, and, and I, I don't know if it was a gangster that said it, but uh, something along the lines of, we didn't choose the Jesus life, it chose us. Is that how it goes? Something like that. But that's the only reason we can answer the question, why do missionaries go to hostile countries? Why do you come to church on a perfectly nice 80-degree sunny day? Because God chose you. Missionaries know the safest place is in the middle of God's will. If they stayed home and ignored God's call to go out to the missions, to go and make disciples, they would be miserable. You have to be in God's will. That's the safest place to be. That's the place where you will be joyful. God's got to tell you where to go, and you got to go. I had lunch with a pastor this week, and his, his ministry is unique because he's a, a very biker-friendly. He ministers to a lot of bikers. And a lot of those bikers could potentially have been in gangs before, or maybe they um, are breaking away. I don't, I don't know. But he has a... Um, uh, oftentimes he will just get on his bike and he will pray, God, show me where you're working, show me where I need to go, and I'll go. He makes himself available, and he goes. And sure enough, when he gets there, he finds out, wow, this person really needed to see Jesus today. This person really needed me to talk to them. I think the question you want to ask yourself is, am I available Am I ready, willing, and able to make disciples as I go? Will I take time for my busy life and minister to someone that needs Jesus? I think that's the questions we need to ask ourselves. Are you available? And if you are, I guarantee you, God's at work already. He's going to match you up with that person that you need to talk to at that time. As I shared, I, I got to talk to a homeschool group that meets here, um, led by Melody, and, and I shared with them, 
it was career day, and I, I got to share with them, what, is, what does a pastor do? Perhaps some of you are wondering, what does this pastor do? Contrary to popular belief, I don't work one hour a week on Sunday. I explained that pastors have a big responsibility of equipping the saints, you guys, to do the work of the ministry. A good pastor understands Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. God has called some of us to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, that's the word for pastor, and teachers to do all the work so you guys can just sit on your butts. No, it doesn't say that. That's not 12 at all. Verse 12 says to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry so the body of Christ, the church, will be built up. That's my job, equip you. I make you disciples so you can make more disciples. In fact, I'll finish with this. A youth pastor, a friend of mine, long, long time ago, when I first got into ministry, I was in youth ministry, and I said to him at our youth retreat, I said, what's your vision for your youth ministry? What's your vision for the church? And he says, well, you know, he goes, it's kind of cliche, but my vision is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And you know what? As a young guy, I was like, yeah, that's not very glamorous. That's kind of boring. But after 20 years in ministry, that's the best vision we could possibly have. Because it's Jesus' vision. It's his calling, his commission, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And I want to be that church that makes disciples. So, are you available? Let's pray. God, thank you for this message, a reminder. We always need this reminder. We're called to serve you. We're called to not just worry about our own growth and discipleship, but to help others along. Father, help us to do that as we go. As we go out into our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhoods, help us to see where you're at work. I pray that we'll be available. And God, show us what we need to do. We don't need to know all the answers. We just need to be available. I think you'll put the words in our mouth. I think you'll show us what to do and how to love the way that person needs to be loved. But I pray we'll take the time to do it and we'll make disciples. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen.